Hello, Gateway Church. Well, today we're going to conclude our series of messages which we have been looking at for some weeks and considering the, the reality that Jesus is both true and better. And as we uh, come to this final message in the series, we're going to read from John chapter 8 and verses 48 to 59. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. When we say that uh, Jesus is true and better, that's an immediate reminder to us that we all have an opinion about the person of Jesus Christ. And we certainly can pick that up here in John's Gospel. Uh, a group of Jews are talking to Jesus and quite frankly, they don't like what he's saying. And so they express their opinion in very forceful terms. You see that there in verse 48. The Jews answered Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? Well, really, that is as bad as it can get. Uh, to call Jesus a Samaritan was a racist slur, uh, something we're very aware of at the present time. But uh, the fact was that the Jews and the Samaritans historically were at odds with one another. And really the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds. And so to accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan was a, a deliberate racist comment. But then also they say that he is demon-possessed. In our terminology today, we might find people saying something like, he is mad. Uh, but everyone has some opinion about Jesus. And some today might go as far as saying that Jesus was mad in the sense that perhaps he was self-deluded, didn't really know what he was talking about. He was totally misled. He was mad in that sense. 
many others would say, oh, no, 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 Jesus was certainly a good man. He was a very good man, and uh, he was a good teacher, and he was a great leader. In fact, you get that even in the New Testament in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. A young man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher. And then the other opinion that people have of Jesus is the Christian one. And that's demonstrated, I suppose, as powerfully as any in the way that uh, Doubting Thomas, as he's sometimes referred to, comes to Jesus and when he sees him risen from the dead, declares, you are my Lord and my God. So Jesus is Lord. And there are these opinions that people hold about Jesus, that in some way he was mad or that he was good or that he is Lord. I don't really want to stop with the opinion that he was mad. It's a bit difficult to really be able to see that as an example, an explanation of what uh, Jesus demonstrated in the Gospels, plus the fact, of course, that very down-to-earth fishermen and tax collectors followed Jesus willingly and in the end were even prepared to die for him. I'm sure they wouldn't have died for a mad man. But there's also a problem in saying that Jesus is good unless you accept the claims that Jesus made for himself. Uh, so Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, I am the resurrection. He said, I have authority to forgive sins. In response to a question, he owned up to the fact that he was the Messiah. Jesus said these things, but if they're not true, then in fact, Jesus was a great deceiver and he certainly wasn't a a good teacher. If Jesus wasn't what he said he was, then in fact he was morally bad. You can't just say that Jesus was good because he made claims about himself. And unless these claims are true, then you cannot consider Jesus to have been good. I suppose what so many people really want to do is to kick the whole thing into touch and say, well, I haven't got any opinion about Jesus. But that's not really so, because when people do that, they say, I can't be bothered, because at the back of their mind, they've either concluded, even if it's a bit subconscious, that Jesus was at the mad end of the spectrum, or that at best he was a good person, but it's not worth giving my time to. I'm not going to bother. Jesus' own claim is, in fact, that he is Lord. And this passage demonstrates that in two things that he discusses, which is death and deity. Let's pick up on death first of all. In the discussion, Jesus makes a key statement here in verse 51. He says, very truly, and notice that, very truly, I'm really telling you the truth here, Jesus emphasizes. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And that really blows the minds of his Jewish hearers. Uh, and they start to, to challenge him about this. Who do you think you are? Surely this proves we're right when we say that you're demon-possessed. Think of Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish faith. Are you claiming that you're greater than Abraham? I mean, what are you saying? Who do you think you are? Clearly, Jesus had a clear opinion about himself. And again, I say we all have opinions about Jesus Christ. Now, in the teaching of Jesus, one of his great themes, as we read it here in the Gospels, is that he offers people life instead of death. And verse 51 is very direct about that. He says, go with me, obey me, follow me, you will never see death. 
But then you might say, yeah, hey, hang on a minute, we do. Everyone actually dies. So you've clearly got to push at this a bit to understand what Jesus is really meaning. <clears throat> One of the uh, ways that we can do this is to turn on a couple of chapters to John chapter 11, where we have the story of the raising of Lazarus. Now, in raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was actually demonstrating that he offers life and not death. But just before he does that amazing miracle, this is what he says. It's here in verse 25 of John chapter 11. Jesus is speaking to Martha and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So Jesus acknowledges that people die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And sometimes I feel like saying, well, yes, I do. But it sounds a bit self-contradictory. Jesus talks about people dying, uh, but he also talks about them never dying. And you've got to kind of work your way through this. Uh, do they die or don't they die? What exactly is Jesus saying here? And really, the only thing that Jesus can be saying here is that when you die, if you believe in me, you will never experience the completeness, the fullness, the to totality of death. You will live. Put another way, as you go through the experience of death, what will happen is that you will step into a new dimension of life. Now, I have a, a picture that I've used very often to try and bring this home to people. Uh, I, I want you to imagine that you live your whole life in one house with many rooms. You never go outside this house. That's where you spend your entire life. And so during the course of your life, you from time to time move from one room to another room. And you find that some rooms are, are very comfortable and you're, you're very happy there. It's a very good time in that room. You go to another room and you find it's very uncomfortable and it's a very difficult time that you have in that room. And you spend your whole life like that in this one house moving from room to room. That's your experience of life. Uh, but you are aware throughout your life that there's a back door to this house. And sometimes you think a bit about that back door and wonder what's on the other side of it. And then there comes a day when you find yourself being drawn towards that back door and you can't resist the pulling power of it. Suddenly, the back door swings open, you walk through, and for the first time in your life, what you see is blue sky, you see green fields, you see grass, trees, you see water in a lake. Everything is enhanced and colorful and beautiful. And in a sense, that's just a picture of what Jesus is talking about, that at death, we will in fact walk through a door into a much fuller, greater, wonderful, colorful life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Come with me, go with me, and you will never see death. You'll never see the totality of death. You will step through a door into life and into a greater life than anything you know now. Now this coronavirus, which we're experiencing, is at one level a wake-up call. It's making people afraid. People are thinking, will I get it? Will I die from this virus? In a way, it's reminding us very powerfully that we've all got to die. And so it's a vital thing to think about at this point. What is beyond death? Now, I find that Romans, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 8 and 9 is very helpful in this connection. 
In those two chapters in Revelation, we read about the seven trumpets being blown. An angel blows a trumpet and then a second and a third one right through the seven. And each time a, a trumpet is blown by an angel, something happens upon the earth which actually resonates with the kind of things that we are familiar with that take place upon the earth and during the course of our life. So an angel blows a trumpet and fire falls upon the earth. Think about recent terrible fires in Australia. Another trumpet is blown and fresh water is polluted. Another trumpet and there are shipwrecks taking place. Another trumpet blows and people are suffering intense depression. Another trumpet and people experience war. Another trumpet and people experience plague. Think the coronavirus. These trumpets are sounding a wake-up. Disasters fall upon the earth. Wake up. Recognize that you're going to die. Wake up. And so when big events take place, like this coronavirus, people do begin to think about the possibility of death. But then the Bible says here in Revelation chapter 9 that the moment passes. Uh, this is what we read after the trumpets have been blown. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. In other words, once the crisis has passed, then people forget about it and they simply return to their old ways. And it will be like that with the coronavirus. Eventually it will pass and even if people have been thinking about death and feeling somewhat vulnerable, hey, they'll just go back to their old ways. But listen, it doesn't alter the fact that we will all die. I was thinking recently about some very famous Christians who've died uh, really quite recently. So two years ago, Billy Graham, the most famous evangelist in the world uh, in recent times, he died at the age of 99, a very long life, but he died. Just uh, a couple of months ago, David Pawson died. Now that may not be a name that's familiar to all of you, but David Pawson was an outstanding Bible teacher. He had a phenomenally successful ministry teaching the word of God in this country and around the world. Really a top-rate Bible teacher. A couple of months ago, he died at the age of 90. Just a couple of weeks or so ago, Ravi Zacharias died. Now again, it may not be a name known to all of you, but Zacharias was, Ravi Zacharias was without doubt the greatest living apologist for the Christian faith. And he died of cancer just a couple of weeks ago or so, aged 72. And of course, some people really die quite young. I think of my friend Simon Pettit, who was having a great ministry, being blessed of God as he ministered in Southern Africa, and suddenly he died at the age of 50. Or I think of my friend Neville, who was a, a co-elder with me at Brighton for many years, and just a few weeks ago, sadly, his wife died at the age of 62. My friends, we are all going to die. And we need to think about it. And we need to think about what's beyond death. And Jesus said, come with me and you will walk 
into life. Some years ago, Sue said to me, why do you so often preach on the subject of death? My response was this, it because, it's because it's the only thing I can be absolutely certain that the congregation are going to do. And so these words of Jesus are so vital here in verse 51. Verily, I say to you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. If you obey Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you will walk into life. And how do we know that? Because Jesus himself rose from the dead. And the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is a pioneer and he is leading many people to glory through the door of death into life and into glory. The resurrection of Jesus really confirms the teaching of Jesus his claims to be the resurrection and the life, his claim to be Lord of all. It's proved by the fact that Jesus himself rose from the dead. And we're not just talking about surviving death, but about going through a door into a life more glorious than anything we can imagine. So Christians can really anticipate death. If you go to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 2, and verses 14 and 15, uh, we get a, a, a clear sort of help with, really with regard to this in terms of anticipating uh, death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's actually broken the fear of death for all those that will follow him. You know, there's an awful lot of superstition with regard to death. Some of you may have watched that wonderful program, The Repair Shop. And in that program, what happens is you get somebody bring in some old broken object uh, which belongs to them, and they bring it into a group of experts, and someone amongst those group of experts is able to repair and restore that particular item. I mean, they just do a fantastic job of restoration. But always there's a story which is connected with the item that is brought in. And usually the story is about someone in the family who has died and to whom this object used to belong to. And so now their son or their daughter or their brother or sister, they want to get it restored to remember their brother or sister, mum or dad or whoever it was. And there's always a conversation when the item has been restored uh, about how good it now looks. And very often the person is asked the question, uh, what do you think your dad would think about uh, this now if, if he could see it? And almost always the person will say something like this. Oh, he'll be looking down and will be very pleased and very proud with what he sees. There's always this kind of superstition about death that somehow people are floating up there like imaginary angels to many people, kind of looking down and watching what's going on now. We are not superstitious about death. We're into the realm of anticipating life because Jesus has broken the fear of death. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, we read about those who are being persecuted that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let's be very careful as Christian believers that we don't get so attached to this life 
that when death becomes a real possibility, we shrink away from it. No, we can always anticipate the joy and the hope of death because it is a door into an ever greater life. And then, of course, you've got what Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 21, where he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is anticipating death. Uh, we think of death as uh, Christians leading to heaven. I sometimes say, delete the word heaven and insert the word gain. Because there's no loss for us in death, there's going to be gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, Jesus is the truth. And therefore, he speaks the truth about death. And Jesus is better, for the way of Jesus is the way of life. Now, the second thing that Jesus speaks about, and which we'll look at more briefly, is deity. We've looked at death, but now deity. And the word deity really is another word for God. It speaks of the character and nature of God. So Jesus is deity. He is God. He, he has the, the character and nature of God. And in this passage, Jesus is continuing to talk about who he is. The Jews that are talking to him have already mentioned Abraham. And so Jesus picks up the subject of Abraham. They've said to him, are you greater than Abraham because of the claims that you're making? And in effect, Jesus says, yes, I am. And you can see that in verse 56. Jesus says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And immediately the Jews know that Jesus is indicating that somehow he has enjoyed living contact with Abraham, although Abraham died up to 2,000 years earlier. Now, the Jews absolutely explode at this. In verse 57, they say, you're not yet 50 years old, they say to him, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus responds with an astonishing claim. Verse 58, very truly, I tell you. Do you notice again that Jesus uses that expression, very truly? Back in verse 51, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will not see death. Here he says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And when Jesus uses that expression, very truly, he's saying, hey, listen up. This is the truth. I'm underlining truth to you here. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And this is his astonishing claim to deity. The words, or the word, the word or the words I am are a claim to eternal existence. Jesus didn't even say before Abraham was, I was. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. However far back you look into the past, Jesus says, I am. In the present, Jesus would say, I am. In the future, when all history is being concluded as we know it, Jesus is still, I am. Jesus is eternal in his existence. The thing that you can say about Jesus is he always is. He is the great I am. 
You may recall, of course, that uh, Moses had an encounter with God, uh, which uh, really helps us here, that Moses was ordered by God to return to Egypt and lead out the slaves of the Israelite people. And uh, in discussing this with God, uh, Moses says to him, Look, please tell me your name. Who are you? What's your name? What shall I say in terms of what your name is? And you may remember that God says to him, I am. I am who I am. Jesus has eternal existence. God the Father has eternal existence. God says, I am. And this theme has continued right through the Bible. So if you go to the very last book of the Bible and to the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is nothing before Alpha, there is nothing after Omega. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is the great I am. And that gets echoed right through John's Gospel. Seven times John uh, has Jesus speaking of himself as the I am. For example, I am the bread of life, or I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the way, the truth and the life. Do you see how Jesus keeps linking his deity with life? because it's life which he is able to give. Now, if we say that Jesus is the I am, if we say that Jesus is God, if we say that Jesus is God in character and nature, then obviously we must be saying that Jesus was, as God, becoming man. And yes, that is exactly what the Bible teaches us. Uh, let me put it to you in this way. Supposing you were able to hear God say, I'm going to become fully a man while still being fully God. If you were listening to that and reacting to it, I think you would have to say, well, if that's true, then there would have to be something different about your birth. And there was. Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin called Mary. I think you'd have to say, well, then you would have to live a different kind of life. And Jesus did. He lived without any sin and went around doing good all the time. I think you would have to say that we would expect there to be supernatural happenings. And indeed there were, because Jesus did many great miracles. And I think you would have to say, if God was to become a man, then he must have some victory over death. And he did, because Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. So on earth, people met Jesus, the man, but they were also meeting the one who was fully God. And sometimes his deity, if I could put it like this, kind of crashed through. If you go to John chapter 18 and to the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there in verse 4 we read that soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus, and Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus said, 
I am. I know in the English translation, to make it kind of look grammatically correct, it's translated as I am he. But what Jesus actually said was simply, I am. And as Jesus said, I am, his deity somehow crashed through, is the way I'd put it. There was an encounter between the deity and these soldiers. And the soldiers were completely overwhelmed and they fell back on the ground. The glory of the I am broke through. Now Jesus, because he was fully man, identifies with us. He understands us. He sympathizes with us. He knows what we go through. But because Jesus is also fully God, he therefore has the absolute power to save us and bring us through into life, through that door to a greater life. And that's why we believe on Jesus, because Jesus is Lord. And I want to invite you as Christians today to think about your death and to anticipate it and the wonders that are to come. And for those of you that may not yet be Christians, I want to invite you to think about your death because it will happen, virus or no virus. What's beyond your death? It will be loss without Jesus Christ. Only Christ can give you life. And only Christ can give you a much greater life. That's why it's so important we have this opinion about Jesus, that Jesus is who he claimed. He is the great I am. He is the door from death and into life. Jesus is the Lord of all. Father, we thank you that... As we've gone through this series of Jesus, true and better, we've seen again and again that whoever you contrast him with and whatever you contrast him with, Jesus is true and he is better. And Father, I thank you that Jesus speaks the truth about death and he is the one to bring us into life and into greater life. And I thank you that Jesus is God. He is the great I am. He has eternal existence Therefore, he conquered death. He broke the power of death. He broke the, the power of the fear of death because he offers us life and he is leading many people to life and to glory. We thank you for Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the great I am, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is going to return in majesty and glory. And this morning, again, we surrender our lives and our opinion to him. And we do it in his great name. Amen.